Wonderful. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's go to John, okay? John chapter number 9 in the Word of God. And as you're finding your place there, I do want to remind you again of one of the main purposes behind the study we're going through, behind studying the miracles of Jesus Christ. So keep in mind, the main, one of the main purposes behind the miracles of Christ we find in Scripture is not just for a show, though that's what Herod wanted to see in Luke chapter 23. They're not there recorded for us just so we see that Jesus drew a following, though many people followed Jesus Christ because of all the things that he did. But they're not there, the miracles are not there just to show the mighty power of Christ, though every single one of them do that. And they prove over and over there's nothing too hard for the Lord. So let the miracles of Christ encourage you that way. There's nothing too hard for Him, including your circumstance of life even now. That's not the main purpose. The main purpose even wasn't just to help people, though Jesus helped thousands of folks. But rather, these miracles we're studying is this main purpose, I believe. To show and to prove that Jesus is exactly who He said He is, and that is this. Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is God come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. These miracles prove that He is the Almighty. Prove just that. And this is the main purpose, I believe, of these miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what John said about Him in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but... These are written, meaning we have these signs, these miracles for this purpose. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing him out of life through his name. So this is why Jesus did all these miracles to prove and to show that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And seeing this fact and understanding this truth should, listen, it should cause you and I to come to Christ, believe on his name, and have life through his name. So I encourage you once again to allow these miracles we study to draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And allow this when we look at this morning in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 12, allow it too to draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So for our next miracle as we study in this series, the next miracle we come to is going to be in John chapter 9. All right? And just before we read this together, before we read this passage, uh, we need to understand a few things up to this moment, okay? At this very moment, Jesus has a bounty on his head. You see, the Pharisaical Jews want him dead, all right? These Jewish leaders want Jesus gone. Here's what the Bible says in the last verse of chapter 8 leading up to this miracle. Here's what the Bible says in John 8, verse 59. Then took they, that's the Pharisees, then took they up stones to cast at him, him being Jesus. But Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. At this very moment, these Jewish leaders want Jesus dead. But why? Why do they want to kill the lovely Lord Jesus Christ? Why do they want him dead? Here's the reason why. Jesus has just made it known to them and everyone else around them just who he really is. That He is God. That He is the Son of God. And He proved this, by the way, in the discourse and the many other things He has done in the presence of these Pharisees. He proved it when He did this. In the very beginning of chapter number 8, when He proved it, when He forgave the woman who was caught in the sin of adultery, when He forgave her, 
He proved who he was. Even the Pharisee says, who can, forgive, who can forgive sins but God only? Listen, at least they got one thing right. That's true. Only God can do that. Therefore, Jesus forgave her. Therefore, Jesus is God. Amen. But he proved it. He proved it not only when he did that, but when he said this in John chapter 8, verse 12 through 20, when he said, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall have the light of life. He proved it then. He proved it when he said to them, I am from above. I am not of this world. John chapter 8, verse 22 through 27. He proved it when he said to, said to them, when he said that he was God's son. Again, in John chapter number 8 and verse 28. And this one, was the, this one right here was the kicker for these guys, all right? When Jesus said this to these Pharisees in John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. You see, at this moment, Jesus used a title that was given to Jehovah God in the Old Testament, but he used it for a title for himself. He said, I am. So he declared before all of these Pharisees, all these Jews, and everyone else in earshot of him, he declared unto them just who he is, and that is this. He is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. But upon seeing these things and hearing these things, the Pharisees hated him the more for it. They should have fell at the feet of Christ. They should have believed on Lord Jesus Christ, as, by the way, many did in John chapter 8, but these Pharisees would not. But instead of doing that, they hated him, they despised him, and would soon rally the crowds and thunder the chant of crucify him, crucify him. These Pharisees understand something. They hated Jesus and wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted him gone. But as we come to John chapter number 9 this morning, there's one, there's one that wanted him to stay. There's one that was glad he was there. There's one that was glad he was gone. There's one that was glad he would forgive and would heal. You see, there are some that wanted Jesus and wanted him around. And one of those was this man we're going to look at this morning of the man who was born blind. And Jesus healed him and gave him sight. But let's look at it in John chapter number 9. Verses 1 through 12, all right? The Bible says this in John chapter 9, verse number 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, the nosy neighbors. Anybody have nosy neighbors? Don't raise your hand. They're watching. I'm just kidding. Verse number 8. The neighbors, therefore... And they which before had seen him that was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, I love this. I love this phrase. Highlight it, underline it, circle it, do something. All right. 
But here's what the man said, verse 11. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. Here we have the record of a man who was born blind, healed by the mighty power of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And from this portion of Scripture and from this event, I want to draw out a few things. The first one is this. Number one, I want you to take notice of the person here, okay? The person we're talking about. Now, the person that we're talking about is the blind man himself. Now, this blind man has been blind since, as the Bible says, since birth. So that tells me, and it should tell us today, he has never seen the beauty of a sunset. He's never seen the beauty of uh, beautiful spring flowers. He's never seen the beauty of the colors of fall. He's never seen the mountain ranges ever. He's never seen the joy, the joy that you can see from a, the, a child's smile. He, he's never seen that. This man, listen, has been in perpetual darkness as long as he can remember. And this person, these type of individuals during this time, uh, during this time in the first century, if you were blind either by birth, disease, or accident, if you were blind, you would basically be confined to a lifetime of beggary. Meaning, you would be on the street corners begging for food, begging for loose change, begging just to survive. And they even said that this, this is what this man did. He was, a, he was a beggar. And they even said, is this not him who would beg uh, there at the temple? He was, he was a beggar. And by the way, this is what blind Bartimaeus would do. You can read that for yourself in Mark chapter number 10, verse 46 through 47. And it's another miracle to look at. But blind Bartimaeus would beg at the temple on the side of the highway, begging, begging for a little alms, begging for some, some food, some, for some money, whatever it may be. Just, just simply begging. Why? Because at this time in human history, if you were blind or maimed or deaf or have something else going on, you're basically confined to a life of beggary. And many times people will consider them an outcast, unwanted, a burden to society. And no doubt it would have been difficult for this man at this very moment. He was a blind beggar. And it would seem that every now and then some would have compassion on him and help him. But he needed more than just a little compassion. He needed a lot. He needed some help. So I want you to take note of this man. Take note of the person here, this blind beggar. Number two, I want you to take note of this. Take note of the proposal. And what I mean by this is the question the disciples have asked about this person, about this man, and about his condition. Look at verse number two with me in John chapter number nine. Look at verse number two. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now the disciples here as they met this blind man, they had a question for Jesus. And basically it was this, how, Lord, Lord, how did this man get this way? Was it something that he did? They deserved this type of quote-unquote punishment? Is it something that he did to deserve this? Or was it something that his parents did to deserve this? Now, I want you to know that questions are good, okay? Uh, asking questions are good, especially they come from the place of wanting to learn, all right, wanting to gain more knowledge. Questions are good. They're not wrong to ask. It's how we grow. It's how we learn. We need to ask questions, except when your kids ask why to every single thing. How many parents know what I'm talking about? Oh, my goodness. Go clean up your room. Why? 
It's a mess. Go clean up your room. Why? Because you made it. Why? Go clean your room. It's time to eat. Why? Are you not hungry? Yes. That's why. But those type of questions can get a little bit <clears throat> annoying. But there's always something to learn in them. I think what God's teaching us as parents in those moments is patience. But anyway, but questions are good, okay? Questions are good to ask. It's how we grow. It's how we learn. But this question here is interesting to me. Now, I'm sure this question was sincere. I'm sure it was an honest question. But I want to be honest with you. This question's dumb. I'm talking about D-U-M, dumb. And yes, I know how to spell. I'm doing that for emphasis, okay? But that's how dumb this question was, at least as I'm looking about it, all right? You say, well, well why do you think this question is dumb, preacher? Well, look at it again. Look at verse number two, and I want to read it to you. Now, maybe you'll catch it, all right? Verse number two. And his disciples asked him, look at it. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, my question to their question is this. Disciples, fellas, let's think about what you just said. How can a person sin before they were even born to deserve something like this? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it don't make sense either, right? It don't make sense. But the disciples thought that this man's blindness was a result of some kind of sin, either before he was born in his life or in his parents' life. It's kind of interesting that they'd ask this question. Now, listen, we understand that things can happen to people physically because of sin in, in our lives. Yes, absolutely. It's called consequences of sin. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequence. I understand that. So we do know there are consequences to sin. I've known folks who have died, I believe prematurely, with cirrhosis of the liver. Why? Because they drank themselves to death. I know, I know people who, whose minds are not all there. Why? Because of the years of drug abuse. It has damaged their minds. And we can read of people in Scripture because of the things that they have done. They reap what they sow. They sow to the flesh. They're going to reap corruption. You can find that in the life of Samson. You can find that in the life of Achan where it cost him his life, even the life of his own family. You can find that even in the life of a, of a woman named Miriam. As she was talking about Moses and spoke against Moses, God struck her with leprosy. Listen, there can be some physical ailments that happen in our lives because of something we did. And it can just be, can be, not always, can be because of a consequence of sin. But in our text, this is not the case. This man here wasn't blind because of his sin. He wasn't even born yet. That don't make sense. This man wasn't blind because of the sin of his parents. God, listen, God was not punishing him for any wrongdoing. That's kind of what the disciples may have been thinking. Uh, nothing, nothing they did or anyone did caused this to happen. So the disciples had a question of, well, then why? Why is he blind? If nothing happened to cause this, then that means God allowed it? Well, why did God... Why would God allow something like this to happen? Why? Now, as a pastor, a preacher, and friend, I hear this question a lot. The question of why? I hear a question of, preacher, why did, why did this happen to me? Preacher, why am I going through this? Preacher, why has my loved one gone so far astray and rebelled against God? Why 
Why has this happened? Preacher, why do bad things happen to good people? Preacher, why? I get that question asked a lot, and many times those questions, they do come from a sincere place. And in that moment, that place can also be hurting and broken, can be confused moments of life. Those questions can come from unexplainable circumstances. Those questions can come from, and, and listen, as a fixer, I promise you, I want to have absolute, concrete, solid answers for all of your questions. I want to help, and I wish I had every single right answer to give to you, to every single question that you have, but I don't. I have hard questions too, sometimes in my life. But I don't always have the answers. And sometimes to those questions that I've heard down through the years, listen, those questions to me, to me, can be a little bit haunting. But to some of those questions, though I may not have the answer, I do know someone who does. I do know the Lord Jesus Christ has the answer for your question. Now, you may not get the answer immediately. You may not get the answer this side of eternity, but one day you will. I don't always have the answers, but I know Jesus does. And so, I want to point you to Him. I want to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ with the answers that you have on your heart and mind, even in this moment. I want to point you to Him. And I want to encourage you again to allow a miracle such as this to draw you closer to Jesus. You have questions this morning? Can I encourage you to draw closer to Jesus with them? Allow God to answer those questions through His Word or through time? Allow God to help you. But they had a proposal. They had a question. Well, well, how did he become blind? Why was he born blind? Was it something he did? We all have questions from time to time. We don't always have the answer. But here in our text, I can find one answer for their question. So number three, I want you to notice this, the purpose. The purpose behind the blindness. All right, look at verse number two, and we'll go down through verse number five together. Look at it with me. Verse number two. And disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. There's the purpose. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus was giving them an answer. He was showing them the purpose behind this. There is a purpose. God wanted to do something absolutely amazing in and with this man's life. And understand something, folks. God was going to use this man in a big, big way. Just to prove yet again who Jesus truly is. Is that he is the Messiah that these Jews have been waiting for. Remember, 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 I read to you earlier the, the, the local context as far as where they're physically at, at, the, at this miracle is where. Starts with a T and ends with an impel. The temple. Good job, all right. 
So at the temple, there have been many, many, many Jews and many, many Pharisees. So no doubt he's just outside or the outskirts of the temple. No doubt this man, uh, being a beggar, would have, would have been outside the temple when people would leave from worship or leave from, from sacrifice, whatever it may be. And no doubt he would, they would be hoping for some kind of compassion shown toward this blind man. So that's no doubt where he would want to be. So outside, in the vicinity at least, at least an eye shot, of the temple. So with that in mind, Jews have been everywhere. Jewish people would have been everywhere. And do you remember what Jesus told John the Baptist when John began to doubt if Jesus was really the Christ? Do you remember the proof he gave to him to point again to Jesus is and to prove who he is? Do you remember what he said? If you don't, let me read it to you. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 6, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John the Baptist in this moment was doubting Jesus from prison. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. And here's what they knew. Here's what they were seeing. Here's what they were hearing. Here it is. The blind received their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus was giving him the proofs that he is who he says he is. And by the way, he was referencing some verses found in the Old Testament when Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 35, verse 4 through 6. Say to them that are a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. And here's how you know he will come. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. Again, let me ask you a question this morning. What was wrong with this individual in this text? What was wrong with him? He's blind. He was blind. And what did Jesus do for this man? He gave him sight. All right. About three quarters of you are paying attention. That's good. I appreciate it. Gave him sight. He gave him sight. And giving man this sight, and giving the blind man sight, Jesus would prove, according to Isaiah 35, that he is who he said he is. That he is God come in the flesh. Every single Jewish individual around the temple at this moment should have seen this and known that text in Isaiah chapter 35 about when Messiah comes, this is how you know he's here. They should have known that. And as they've seen this mighty work and mighty miracle of Lord Jesus Christ, they should have known there's more than just a prophet. There's more to this man than just a good man. There's more to this man than just a moral teacher. No, no, no. This man is God Come in the flesh. It should have pointed to who Jesus is. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is there was a greater purpose that this man being born blind. There's a greater purpose for him. And it was this. Listen. It was so that he, in this mighty miracle, could point to the glory of God. Could point that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh. To point to Christ. This had a purpose. This blindness had a purpose here. Now, society may have looked at him, at this blind man, and thought, well, that's just pitiful. That's just awful. That's just 
a tragedy. That's just oh, a waste. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there's nothing wasted with God. God can take something that society says is pitiful, awful, and a waste. He could take that waste. He could take that mess. He could take your brokenness, and he could take it and use it for his purpose and his glory, just as he did here in John chapter number 9. It had a purpose. It had a purpose. But the only thing, when it comes to our brokenness and our mess, for God to turn that into a wonderful purpose, is it must be given to him. Remember? Remember? It must be given to the Lord. This is what happened in the life of Job. Now, we don't have time to study the life of Job this morning, but you know what happened to him. He lost everything. How so many things in his life were just wrecked time after time after time. It was awful. But here's what Job said. The book of Job says this in Job 42 and verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. Why? Why could it come out with a greater purpose than the end? Why? How? Job gave it all to him. He gave it all to the Lord. This is how Joseph could, could come out in the very end with so much, after suffering so much at the hands of his own family. He said these words in Genesis 15, verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me. Talking to his brothers. You thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. There is a purpose behind everything that Joseph went through. A purpose. Now, there's no man that I know of in Scripture that suffered more for the gospel's sake and Christ's sake than that of the Apostle Paul himself. You can read of the sufferings he endured, just a snippet of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 15 through 23, you can read it for yourself. But it's a snippet of what he went through and suffered for Christ. But he said this was the reason behind all of that. When he gave testimonies, he's writing to the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word. Without fear. That was the purpose behind what Paul went through. That the gospel would go forward. That people in the palace would hear of Christ. That the brethren would get confidence and boldness through what Paul was suffering and going through to continue on in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's purpose behind it. And there's purpose behind this man being born the way he was being born for the glory of God. God was going to use him in more ways he could ever think of, ever imagine, ever. It was for the glory of God. And by the way, it was in God's time and not this man's time nor his parents' time, but in God's timing. No doubt this man was older, man, at least he was out of the house by, at, by this time, under the, from underneath the watch care of his parents. You can read on, read on past verse number 12 there and see that for yourselves. So no doubt in the early age, his parents wanted to be healed immediately. No, no doubt they wanted that, wanted, wanted him to have help and this, this that, and the other. But in God's time, God used it in a big way. Let God have His perfect work and His perfect time in your life, even today. All right. So there's a purpose behind it. And then lastly and quickly this morning, I want to see this. I want to notice, and I want you to notice, the proclamation. Okay? Understand, the Lord didn't just help this man and just heal this man 
just for this man's sake. Now, did he want to help the individual? Oh, absolutely, okay? Don't make no mistake about it. God is interested in the individual, absolutely. But there's a bigger picture here that I see. And no doubt it's a bigger picture that God saw. There's a bigger picture here than just the one man. Look at it with me again, verse number 8 through verse number 11. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, the beggar, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and only mine eyes said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed I received sight. Now, as I read this, I find another question here. Another question. It wasn't from the disciples this time, but rather it was from the neighbors, and it was from those that knew him, those that have seen him regularly, folks that knew this blind man. But it wasn't a question of why, but rather this question was, was a question of how. How did this happen? How did you receive sight? How did this change? And again, it came from the neighbors around him. But the question of why, understand this man, listen, at this moment, this man had a great opportunity here to proclaim what had happened to him, to those that knew him, to those that were around him, to his neighbors. And when they came to him and said, how did you get your sight? Who gave you your sight? Please tell me, how did this happen? He had an opportunity to proclaim and tell them what happened. And here's what he said, it is powerful and yet simple. Look again at, at verse number 11. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus. That's what happened. This is how it all happened. A man that is called Jesus. Understand something. As the Lord works in our lives and changes our lives, and continues to work in ways that make us new and to grow in Christ, as the Lord works and things change in our life, you and I will get the questions like this. <laughs> what happened to you, man? <laughs> well, what do you mean you don't want to go party with me anymore? Well, what do you mean you don't want to go here and there? And What do you mean you don't do this or that you, you mean you go to church? You go to church? <laughs> I've, I've had people as, that I grew up with and went to school with and, and meet them out and about every now and then. And uh, in this case you don't know, I grew up around this area, okay? That's good and bad. Good that I grew up in this area. Bad that people know me. All right, but anyway. But as I meet folks from time to time, go to school with and whatnot, and, and they say, so what are you doing now? I'm like, I'm a, I'm a pastor. They're like, you're a what? Hey, look, I'm as shocked as you are, my friend. I promise, all right? But it's in those moments that we get to proclaim how Jesus changed our lives. How Jesus changed everything. It's in those moments you get to say, well, I know I'm as shocked as you, but let me tell you about a man named Jesus. And that's exactly what this man did here. When he came to the question of, well, how did this happen? How did your life change? Where did this come from? A man that is called Jesus. 
change my life forever. And you too have the same opportunity when you meet other folks. As God has changed your life. Maybe they knew you before, before you came to Christ. They knew you before that. And now you're reading your Bible. You're going to church. You don't cuss like you used to. Don't, don't do all those other things like you used to, whatever it may be. I don't have to put a laundry list of things. You know. But as God's changed your life, you're not what you used to be. And they say, well, how'd this come about? You have the opportunity and privilege to proclaim a man that is called Jesus. Because it's the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. It's the Lord that changes our life, makes us a new person who rescued our family, who did this and that, that saved me. Listen, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In those moments, we have the opportunity to be a light for the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify not you, but your Father which is in heaven. That's what we're trying to point people to. Point them to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 9, For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, to angels and to men. When God does a great work in your life, changes your life, He wants to use it for His glory, for you to proclaim and point people to Jesus Christ, just as in this moment in John chapter number 9 as well. Again, that's really part, uh, more, more of the purpose behind some of these things. So I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. And I don't like hard times either. I don't like difficulties either. I don't like unanswered questions either. But sometimes the, the purpose on the outside of these things and down the road could be you're going to come in the path of some people that are going through or have gone through the exact same thing you're going through. And you're going to be able to help them. As they look at you and say, well, how did you get through it? How do you have such peace? How do you have such comfort through that time? Tell me what's your secret. And you'll tell them there's no secret at all. But simply a man called Jesus. So there can be purpose behind the pain. If you'll give it all, give it all to the Lord. So I want to encourage you this morning to do just that. Give it to Jesus. Just give it to Him. And let Him use it for His glory. 